If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know we've been going through Romans 8. And today is graduation day. We come to the last remaining passage, verses 35 through 39. And it really is something of a crescendo of this wonderful chapter in Romans. As you guys have heard, it's often been referred to as the Romans road because it gives this real panorama of what Jesus' saving work has been for us on the cross and all through life. It says that we were made, we were predestined to be conformed to his image, that that would be what he wants us to be like, to be not just kind of slightly resembling him, but really resembling him, really in a way that we can't necessarily know this side of heaven. The fullness of what that means for us will be revealed. But right now, Jesus is telling us that that is what we were predestined to become, made in his image, and once we were predestined, we were called. We would experience calling as responding to that invitation to say, Lord, oh, gosh, my roommate just told me about you, and I'm not really sure, or I have a work colleague, or I've just read something, or I saw a movie. But something is drawing me closer to you, and maybe it was my parents or grandparents, some way that God, through his son Jesus, through people that had already known him, got to each of our lives. And so we were called. And when we were called, we said, yes. And then he said, you are justified. You are now right with the Heavenly Father. We're like, thank you. So what do I do now? What do I do in this time, in this life that I have remaining? And that's what a lot of Romans 8 is about, and even the rest of Romans. But in that time remaining, he says, you're justified now. You're living for me, and you will be glorified. There will be a time where the fullness of what it means to be in my image becomes totally manifest. And all the things that each of us was called to do and were able to faithfully do, not necessarily perfectly because we're all each so aware of our shortcomings, our daily sense of, oh, man, I could have, I, I could have pressed into you, Lord. I could have said yes when I, I know you were calling me to do that, but instead I chose my world, my comfort, my, my fill in the blank, my. So we're all aware of that, and yet he forgives us. And so this is, this is the, the culmination. It says, this is what the Lord had planned for us. This is the experience that we have. It will result in glory, but we are not there yet. And so he wants, Paul wants to say, as the good pastor that he is, he wants us to realize that with all the things that Christ has done for us, there's the obvious and rhetorical question that says, what sh who shall separate us from the love of Christ? With all the ways that Jesus has displayed his love to us, with working every, you saw this last week, working everything out that we consider hard, difficult, bad, challenging, even evil, he works that out for our good. But it's not a good that necessarily equates to our comfort. It's not a good that necessarily equates to the fulfillment of all our plans. It's not necessarily a good that we can easily identify in this present time and present life, apart from being in his presence, apart from saying, Lord, how are you leading me through this? How are you using what I am going through for the good of your kingdom, for the blessing of who you are? I don't know about you. I tend to be fairly resistant to those things. I prefer to, not prefer, if I find myself in them, I try to make the best of them, those difficult, challenging situations. And even in my flesh, I'm eager to be through them and be done with them. 
And yet I realize that the Lord is using me. To, he's shaping me. He's maturing me. He's making me more like he is, more in his image. And what he does when I go through that, what he's doing when each of us goes through that, he's allowing us, he's redeeming those bits of pain, he's redeeming those hard parts, he's redeeming those difficulties by allowing us to be an encouragement and a blessing to other people going through similar things. I think all of us could thank God for the mentors that we've had in our life that have had a significant impact. And part of the reason they had that impact is because they've went through things that we are just now experiencing. They have a credibility that comes from scar tissue. They have a sense of perspective that comes from persevering through those things by God's help. That's what makes somebody an effective mentor. And that's oftentimes what God is making us in the respective roles that we have. So this is the more than conquers. This is why Jesus is saying, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall any of those things, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? By the way, those last four are pretty autobiographical for Paul. He went through famine. He was hungry at times. He went through nakedness, just in the deep, spending days uh, after a night and day in the deep. Uh, danger, he was in danger from robbers. As he, these are all out of his own testimony. And the sword, he faced constantly the, the threat of death for his advancing the kingdom of God. And he speaks to all these things. So he's not just pulling some good things out of the air. He's talking from how God has helped him and shaped him. But he concludes with, he says this amazing thing. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors from him who loved us. Now, if you looked at Paul's life, if you just go through that catalog that he mentions that I just referred to, he doesn't look like a conqueror, does he? He looks anything but. He looks ragged, he looks forgotten, he looks persecuted, he looks dirty, dusty, beaten, bruised, left for dead. That doesn't look like a conqueror in my book, probably nor in your book either. And yet, who's, whose perspective is he, is he talking about? He's talking about from God's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, that from the Lord's perspective, that obedience, that perseverance, that, that is conquering this world. We cannot understand the things that God allows us to go through just from the perspective of this life. We must understand that they have, in a sense, their rootedness and their final um, meaning, their final interpretation in the, in the life that God has for us, in that time of glory. And if we forget that, then we are in some kind of danger. We're in danger of just trying to make life work for us, just trying to figure it out on our own. There's times we don't feel like conquerors. But this passage that has been read, this passage that we're discussing now, commentators often talk about it as, this, as a passage of just amazing doctrinal security. Like Jesus, nothing can separate us from his saving love. Nothing can separate us from the upholding of what he does in our life. Nothing can, can overwhelm us as, as fearsome as it may seem at times. But all from the perspective of heaven. Is that real and is that possible? From his perspective, from that perspective of glory, through which he looks at our lives now, nothing can separate us from his love. He will see us safely through these times. So commentators and theologians call this, the, you know, this is where the doctrine of security comes from. One of the key passages. Like we are secure in Christ. 
But it occurs to me, and maybe it occurs to you, that if we are secure, according to this, why is it that we feel so insecure at times? Why is it that many of our friends, maybe family members who once walked with Christ, do so no longer? I don't know about you, but when I just think of that, when I think of people that are called de-churched, and sometimes that means that they've just stopped going to church, and sometimes that means they've stopped because they've stopped believing in Christ. But there's a growing number of people, and, some of, and you guys have friends, and you have family members that are in that category, as do I. And it is heartbreaking, and it is hard to understand in light of texts like this. Uh, Atlantic Monthly uh, this week, or maybe it was last week, has an article by a guy named Jake Mayador, who's the, chief, he's the editor-in-chief of Mere Orthodoxy, a blogger group that I haven't really sampled too much of, but he writes this in his article. It starts this way. Nearly everyone I grew up with in my childhood church in Lincoln, Nebraska, is no longer Christian. That's not unusual. 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the past 25 years. That's something like 12% of our population, and it represents the largest concentrated change in church attendance in American history. There is an acceleration of people who've somehow, for some reason, oftentimes because of the pressures of this world, which I think have been accelerated, have just stopped thinking that church is an answer, that the community of believers, the community who names the name of Christ, just somehow doesn't have a way to offer what they need. And some of them have extended that to the Lord himself. And there's an acceleration, I mean, there's just, when I think of acceleration, I think it's, it's, it feels like a windstorm. It feels like an approaching hurricane. Have you ever seen, you know, if you see a hurricane approaching, you're watching the news or some clip, they usually send some intrepid reporter out there, and it's about 50 or 60 miles an hour at that point, and they're, you know, they're being, you know, blasted by the wind and by the rain, and you can barely hear them because they're, sh- even though they're shouting, they're, you can barely see them, they're leaning into the wind, there's some guy that goes behind them, you know, with an umbrella that long stopped working, you know, it just looks like a total mess, but the basic news is it's going to get worse. These winds are going to increase. You should seek some shelter. And I want to say in this, that this passage gives us shelter. This is like the love of Christ is the shelter that we need. The love of Christ is the shelter that we were made for. But some of us insist, some of these you know, 12%, 40 million people, for some reason think that this, what they have been told is safe shelter is no longer safe. But I want to say with great love, great exhortation, encouragement, come in out from where you are and come in to this shelter, the shelter of the love of Jesus. I think there's reasons, actually, that people prefer to be outside. This isn't necessarily to blame, but maybe it's a little bit more prophetic than than pastoral in places. You know, the prophets would call out stuff that was like, this isn't good, and the pastors come alongside. It's not good, but, you know, you can... You can work through it. So I'm a little bit on the prophetic side with this here. In the sense, like, why are people out in this storm, in this accelerated wind? Why, when it's getting worse, why not come into the shelter of Christ's love? I think there's a, various things at work. One is that sometimes we, people just get, we get stuck or can get stuck on, think, on wrong thinking about how this world works. That when bad things happen, when we're dealing with overwhelming sorrow or suffering, we see tragedy, experience that firsthand, or injustice on a massive scale, bullying, abuse in all its forms, persistent poverty, preventable deaths, 
creating weapons of amazing destructive power, and even inventing new technologies that we don't seem to have much control over, this can be very scary and cause us to wonder, well, where are you, Jesus, in the middle of such things? What's going on in our world? I think too many things are going in the wrong direction rather than in the right direction. But part of the challenge, part of the shelter of the love of God is that this world is never our final home. It's not the place that we belong. Paul, when he opens up his, his, his uh, letter to the Romans, talks about how, how challenging things have become because people have forgotten God. And so he says, but with that in mind, they've, they've given themselves over to all kinds of godless living. That sounds a little Victorian, but basically life without God is not a life we want to live. Not a life, more importantly, that we were made to live. But because we persist in that, and this is the, the fall of humankind, if you will, that continues to blow its fierce wind in each of our lives and in our culture. But people that are out there are wondering what's going on. Todd Hunter, I've been reading a book. Uh, he just, he's, if you don't know Todd Hunter, Todd Hunter is the bishop of our diocese, Churches for the Sake of Others. He is a, a good pastor, good theologian, has a a tender heart, but also a keen mind. He has written a book just released called What Jesus Intended, Finding True Faith in the Rubble of Bad Religion. And he's dealing with this question that we're considering here this afternoon. What happens to, why is it that people are staying out in the storm of, this, of what the world is throwing at them and not seeking the shelter of the love of Christ? And he says, one of his the comments he makes is a core concern of many deep church people is this. If, as Jesus says, the kingdom is already present, why aren't things being fixed? But then he offers what is something each of us needs to consider. He goes on to say, a moment of honesty is needed here. Things aren't just bad in our cities, government and schools. They're bad in our hearts and in our corresponding behaviors. We want God to judge and stop evil that appears in the news. We want we, but we are protected, we are protective of our own thoughts, words, and deeds, and don't, with the same urgency, ask God to intervene in our own hearts. It's always somebody else's issue. It's always out there. It's rarely in here. Or, it's, or if we're you know, reasonably honest, it's mostly out there and just a little bit in here. But Bishop Todd is pointing us to what we have responsibility for. To pursue thinking about God and religion with righteousness, this inconsistency is something we must reflect on and change. So sometimes we don't seek shelter just because we think this world is our home or this world has to have the solutions to the challenges we see. And the shelter is coming into the love of Christ and having him work in these things and see that he works a patient ferment. See that... Uh, you know, when he talks about the parables and the mustard seed, he's talking about slow-growing things, but they grow large with patience and with cultivation. So that's one of the reasons I see people not seeking the shelter of God's love. The other reason I think that's out there is sometimes we've just gotten off track for what God's calling and purpose is on us. You know, this is what part of the beauty of Romans 8, that it calls us into this life that actually I want to live I want God to use me in this way. I'm a little scared about what that means. I don't know the implications. There's huge uncertainty. There's definitely some risk. But if I continue to play it safe, like, is that much fun after a while? No, we just have one safety thing after another. Romans 8 tells us that the, the end point for our lives 
is the glory of God. To be where the glory of the sons of God, the daughters of God will be revealed. I want to be in that revelation. I want that be, to be as glorious as Christ is designed. That's motivating to me. Uh, back to Jack Mayador from The Atlantic. He writes this. He said, part of the reason that people are off mission, this is my paraphrase, but part of the reason that churches aren't making a difference, maybe why people are leaving, is that American churches have too often been content to function as a kind of spiritual nonprofit organization of detached individuals who meet periodically for religious service, services to inspire them, provide practical life advice, and offer positive emotion, emotional experiences. But too often... It has not been a community that through its preaching and living bears witness to another way to live. And he goes on to quote Stanley Hauerwas, who says, the difficult, the challenge is that most of the wounds and aches provoked by our current order, the way of life that we're in the middle of, are resolved only by changing one's life, by becoming radically different, a radically different sort of person belonging to a radically different sort of community. We, we're not going to outworld the world. They, they've got this figured out. It's a, but let's be honest, it's very attractive. And if I, can, you know, if I can get the benefits of what the world offers without necessarily having to pay the price. So two, I have to confess that for a long time that was my mindset, even as a practicing Christian. I didn't want to admit it. I didn't, you know, I hope I could avoid it. I hope the Lord would be merciful to me. But the mercy consists in this, is to press into the shelter of God's love and to desire a life that is not something that we could have constructed nor particularly would have asked for, but to see his hand and his movement in our lives and to see other lives change because what he's calling us to do. That's the kind of life that I want. Sometimes we're out of the shelter of the Lord because we just lack the sense of that, what he wants I think all the hardships that the disciples went through that we read in the Gospels and some in the epistles, none of them would have said, you know, I wish I just hadn't. I was a little overboard. You know, I was, I was a little OCD about the whole thing. They wouldn't say that. They would say, thank you, Lord, casting down their crowns. I want more of that in my life. I want more of that in your life. I think the final reason that sometimes we don't seek the shelter is that we just, we, we've forgotten that God has already been using our lives. We've forgotten to look at the fruit of what he's done. If you've been walking with the Lord, this is part of the great tragedy of what, what Bishop Todd and, and what Mayador are talking about, is that, that people that have walked away have had impact for time and eternity. They, they've, their faithfulness to God has changed the lives of other people, many of whom are still walking with the Lord. Vicki and I went to a 40th reunion, and a guy who was a chaplain of the group that we participated in for a while. Fantastic guy, an excellent chaplain. Uh, he's not practicing as a Christian anymore. That is heartbreaking. But at the same time, I'm thankful for having him in our, our lives at a crucial time of spiritual formation and development. But I want for me and I want for you, each of us, to say, you know, at the end of our lives, however long or short that is, I've fought the fight. I've run the race. I've passed the test. So part of doing that, part of staying in that, is to look at the ways that God has used each of our lives, to ask for more, but also to say, Lord, thank you for what you've done, and to know that that's what his desire is as well. Benny and I and Vicki were part of a church that some of the old saints would say, uh, just thinking about the goodness of God, 
If he never does another thing for me, he's done too much already. There's just this sense of being in the love of Christ, being in the shelter of who he is, being in the shelter of his call in our life, that if he gives me another day, I can do this. And that's, a, that's pretty exciting to me. And so when I think about Holy Trinity, when I think about this year ahead later today, uh, we're having our annual meeting where we give God thanks for what's happened and we look forward to what we ask him to do. We cannot do what he's asking us to do outside the shelter of his love, outside this passage of Romans 8, outside of imbibing it, drinking it in, living it out, confessing the times where we get you know, off here or off there. And we cannot do it on our own. We must do it together. As we do that, then I think we will see um, him working bit by bit. It doesn't have to be huge atmospherics and all kinds of you know, fireworks and things like that. You know what it's going to look like? It's going to look quiet at times. It's going to look like just meeting people's needs. It's going to look like coming alongside. I'll close with this. Bishop Todd uh, talks about a time growing up. He had, you know, he had quite a challenging upbringing. He's one of six kids. His dad became a, a chronic gambler and with the financial destitution that often accompanies that. And so he talks about uh, he didn't know who these women were that would, from the church that would leave bags of groceries on the porch. Or later they would just come by and they would engage his mom with hours of conversation, quiet, subtle. But he said it made a huge difference. This was the kingdom of God in action. Not in flashing flamboyant ways, but very much in the way of Christ. With kindness, with generosity, with compassion, with concern. Who is this young man, this boy, who by his own definition was into sex, drugs, and rock and roll at the time? Who is this young mind who's getting shaped by such quiet but effective presence of Christ? And so for us, who are the people that we are called to be the quiet, effective, prayerful, kindness, and help, and provision, and concern, and prayer for those around us? That's how the Lord calls his church. That's how his presence grows. That's how a mustard seed becomes a bush. And that's our prayer for each of us in our lives, each of us as part of this church. And so I praise God for all these things, and I praise him for this, for Romans 8 and Paul with all that he went through to give us that example and that exhortation. Amen.